Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see all of you tonight. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Let's open up to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. Next Sunday night, we'll begin a new series uh, on Sunday nights that will last about uh, four lessons. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when we study the Bible, especially studying characters, we oftentimes study who we would call the big name characters. David, Paul, Jesus, Peter, Moses, Abraham. But have you ever thought about the people in the Bible that were given no name? Yeah, they had a name, but we don't know it. And the Bible just tells us a story about an unnamed individual and tells us something that they experienced, something that they did, or some reaction they had to a teaching of Jesus. Next Sunday night, we'll begin a series looking at some people in the Bible that do not have names, but yet their names are still written in heaven. And we can learn a lot of lessons from them. So we're going to start that series next Sunday night. Tonight, what we're going to do is uh, something that I kind of determined to do periodically after we got out of the quarantine. Uh, about late June, early July, we had a Sunday morning service where we read through an entire book of the Bible. And after that, man, a lot of you came out and said, we love that, we really enjoy it, and uh, we want to do that more regularly. And so it's been about three months since we've done that, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, the reason that we did that initially was because of this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And I expressed to you that Sunday morning that I felt like that was something maybe we lack in the 21st century, is the public reading of great passages of Scripture and just letting the Scriptures stand for themselves. And so tonight we're going to do that again. The Sunday, night, the Sunday morning that we did it after the quarantine, we read through 1 Peter. Tonight what we're going to do is we're going to read through the book of James together. So we're going to read James chapters 1 through 5 together. And uh, then at the end of the lesson, I have uh, about four points of application that I just see when I read through the book of James. So uh, go ahead and get your Bibles ready. Open up to James chapter 1. We're going to read the text from beginning to end of the entire letter. And uh, then we'll offer a couple of points of application. All right, let's begin by devoting ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, and let's look at the letter that James wrote. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, not uh, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those that love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the one who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was complete by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who teach, we who teach, will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels? And what causes fight among, fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and your corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who wrote in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What do you get out of our reading from James chapters 1 through 5? What in your mind pops out as most important? As I read, there were a few things that seemed to be common threads throughout the text. And I'm going to share those four points with you. Many people have looked at the book of James and they've called it the Proverbs of the New Testament. That it's filled with these small sections of phrases. And you may have noticed this as we read. Sometimes the discussion may have seemed fragmented, uh, broken up, kind of like the Proverbs. But there is a wealth of knowledge shared here in the book of James, the letter that James wrote. So what are some points that we get from this letter? And then we'll deliver the invitation, four of them, that I think are super helpful. Number one. When I read through the book of James, one of the things I see come up time and time and time again is that when I have faith in Jesus, it should show. So often we may be so worried about people thinking that we are Christians or knowing that we are Christians or what people's perception of us is that we forget altogether that our life should be motivated by action and not by reputation. It is reputation that is built up by action. And that's what the book of James brings out. James chapter 1. If you'll go back to that passage, you'll remember there that James wrote, beginning in verse 22, about the idea of my faith being something that is done, not just heard. I open up God's Word and I see myself. And he compares that person to the man that looks in the mirror. And he sees what kind of man he is. He sees his form. He sees what he looks like. But he walks away and he completely forgets who he is. James says that shouldn't be the, the case. When you look into the law of liberty, you should see who you are. And it should cause an effect that goes out into your life. Our faith should be something that shows by our works. You remember Matthew chapter 5. We quote this passage a lot. Jesus said that we're supposed to be the light of the world. And then he uses this phrase, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, that's not as obvious, I think, to us in the southeast. As you're going down the interstate, you know, our part of the country is very fortunately green, which means there's a lot of trees that have been up for a long time. It's kind of hard to see long distances unless you're at a high elevation. You go out, though, to the west, man, and you can see for miles, miles. You see a city up ahead of you, you can't miss it. It's way on up there. You see you coming up to it. You see as you're approaching it. If it's at night, you see the lights of the city. You can't miss it. That's the principle of Matthew 5. As people, our lives should be a light to the world, and we should be the city set on a hill. You can't hide it. 
It's not that we want people to see us and be like, oh, great job. I'm so proud of you. You're such a good person. It's that we want people to see our works and turn their mind to give glory to God. So he says in Matthew 5, so that men may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to be a light. Our faith in Jesus should be something that is evident. So James chapter 2 is kind of his discourse on this. Faith without works is dead. Verse 26, as the body is apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I can't say that I have faith in Jesus without my life being a full evidence to that. And then, of course, James chapter 3, he talks about the wisdom that comes from above. And that wisdom is one that keeps us from being impartial, but being peaceable and open to reason and gentle. My faith should be something that is shown and is easily seen. If my belief in Jesus does not motivate action in my life, I need to reevaluate my faith. James tells me that. The second point is that challenges in life should be turned to be viewed as opportunities. Challenges should be turned to be viewed as opportunities. We talked at this at a pretty good length this morning about God being a God of comfort and how He comforts us in times of trouble and ultimately how we can see in the long run the playing out of our good works and God's comfort that we will be with Him forever. And that should bring us joy. James chapter 1, he talks about this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Everything that happens in life, every moment that we experience, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 hints at the fact that it is all working for us an eternal weight of glory. Everything in life is meaningful. None of it happens as a meaningless event that you should forget about and, and, and throw to the side. Everything in life develops within us patience and faith, and it should anchor us further to hope. And that's what James chapter 1 teaches me, that the testing of my faith, it can produce patience. And patience should have its perfect work, that I could be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In James chapter 5, he talks about this same idea of me being patient in suffering, and he holds up Job and some others as examples Challenges in life can be turned into opportunities to grow, and we should see it that way. Instead of letting challenges defeat us, we should allow them to create within us something greater than we were before. Learn. Hey, you, ever, you ever told a kid this? Learn from your mistakes. You make a mistake, learn from it. You go through something, learn from it. I was talking to uh, Kylie about this earlier. Morgan and I heard a lesson not long ago where a guy was talking about sports. And, you know, he was saying, well, participation trophies are worthless. But, you know, we shouldn't teach our kids that sports are all about outcome-based. That is, if you make it all the way to the state championship and you lose, you're a failure. Well, no, that's not the case. You make it all the way through life and you go through some suffering, you're not a failure. The question is, have you learned something from it? It's performance-based. Have I learned something? Have I grown? Have I become better? Challenges should be viewed as opportunities. I believe James chapter 1 and James chapter 5 teach me that. Another thing that he focuses on in chapter 2 and in chapter 5 is that as Christians, we should act in a way that is merciful and that we treat people equally. Every person laid bare before God is still just a person. No more valuable than anyone else. The only difference between people is whether or not they're a saint or they're a sinner. That's the only difference. All of us stand before God as men and women. And all of us will stand before Him on the day of judgment. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've lived. Everybody will stand before Him. 
And so we need to, as Christians, treat people with mercy and equality. Of course, James chapter 2 is the passage that really teaches that. If a rich man comes in and a poor man comes in, how are you going to treat the two? What are you going to do? How are you going to act? You're going to be more preferential to the poor or to the rich man and not very preferential to the poor man. It may seem like an exaggerated example, but folks, we do this sometimes. We treat people differently. As Christians, we shouldn't. We should spend our time focusing on mercy and equality. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We should treat each one another, one another equally, especially under the consideration that all of us at some point have fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us have. We've all, we all need Jesus. I know it's kind of like a, you, you might hear it like a millennial saying, you know, we all need Jesus. Somebody might have that on a t-shirt. But isn't it true? Every person needs the Lord. Every person needs Jesus Christ. And that's why he came. Fourthly and finally, the book of James teaches me that life is short. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, James mentions this where he says that the rich man in his humiliation should remember that he is just like the flower of the grass. That the sun will rise, it will scorch it, the grass will wither and the flower will fall and its beauty will perish. And then in James chapter 4, he tells that to all of us. What is your life? It's but a mist. It appears for a little while, and then it's gone. And that's a reality. As we're sitting here, we probably think of those who have already experienced the ending of that vapor. But it should be a present reality to every one of us that we'll all face that moment one day. Whether we face it staring at the Lord coming out of the sky, or we face it having to have our family gathered around us. One way or another, we're all leaving this world. We're not going to stay here forever. And life is short. And so our focus, as James chapter 4 teaches me, should be on God. Instead of saying that I've got all of this in control, I've got all of it handled, and I'll just take care of it, he says we should say, well, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. My life should be wholly dedicated to God's will. The book of James has a lot of lessons. We could probably go on, I could go on all night about the book of James. There are so many lessons we can learn in this passage of Scripture, this section. My question is this. We all know life is short. We all know beyond any doubt that we have to have faith in Jesus. I hope you know that tonight. I hope you know that you have to have faith in the Lord. And that faith should prompt you to obedient repentance, obedient baptism, and faithful living. That you should be willing to confess His name in front of people. He is your Lord. He is your King. And you will serve Him. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He will be the focus of your life. I hope you believe that you have to have faith. I hope you have faith. Maybe you need to grow in your faith. Maybe your faith needs to get stronger tonight and you need to take a step towards living that way. Maybe you feel like you've been under a challenge that's been unbearable and you've seen it more as a burden than an opportunity. You have been seeing it as a chance not to feel like you're glorifying God, but that you're being beaten to the ground. Maybe you're a Christian that hasn't been focusing on being merciful and equal to others. You've been prideful, filled with yourself. Maybe you're just now thinking, you know what? Boy, life is short. I know that I'm going to have to meet the Lord one day. And my question to you tonight is, are you ready to do that? It's a vapor. 
It's here for just a moment. But the decisions we make, one brother put it this way, all lie in the dash. You know, all of us have a date that we've been born. Mine is the second, uh, the fifth, the second month, of the fifth day of the year. I'll get it right. February the 5th, 1993. And that other date hadn't been determined yet. I don't know it and you don't know it. All that matters is that dash. What are you doing in the dash? Because it's short. James would encourage us to be ready. So do you need to get ready tonight? Do you need to maybe count trials differently? Do you need to develop your faith? Do you need to see your challenge and your problem as an opportunity to grow? Or do you just need to get right with the Lord because you know life is going to end one way or the other? If you need to make something right with God, don't hold out. Don't walk out of this building feeling as if you should have done something and look back and say, I should have I done something. should have done something. Make a decision tonight. If you need to come, please do so as we stand and as we sing. Jesus is